World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it, and another man who loves it. Final episode of our crossover month. The culmination you've all been waiting for. Territory Marks is here. Podcasting After Dark has been a part of $2 Late Fees crossover all month long. And today we have a very special guest on Territory Marks with us to talk about a very special person. Joining us, Paul London and I, is Sleazy C., Corey from Podcasting After Dark. Corey, what is happening? Oh, thanks. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, not only am I your co-host on Podcasting After Dark, but I'm also a fan of Territory Marks. And, uh, you know, Zach knows my background with wrestling or or lack thereof. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll get into it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we will. We will. I want to get your uh, background on this, but uh, but Paul, for everyone who is not caught up on this, September all month long is podcasting after dark two dollar late fee. We covered the movie Roadhouse here on two dollar late fee, and then broke down the movie on podcasting after dark, and then interviewed Marshall Teague, aka Jimmy Reno from Roadhouse. If you've heard all those episodes, uh, if you haven't, go back and listen to those episodes. But before this all started, the inception of the crossover and 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 when it was revealed that Corey had never seen Roadhouse and he uh, up until maybe a, a month ago, I, you just blew Paul's and, mind. <laughs> yeah, Paul's Paul's going to lose it. After that happened, we said, OK, we got to do an episode for Roadhouse. That's our crossover movie. What are we going to do for Territory Marks? Well, we got to talk about Terry Funk. And then sadly. A week before we're recording today, Terry Funk passed away at the age of 79. And there's no coincidences. If you talk to our good friend Richard Horowitz, uh, he doesn't believe in them. Things all happen for a reason. And here we are talking about Terry Funk, the man, the myth, the one and only. And Paul, you uh, have a very strong, close connection with Terry Funk, do you not? Beat it, Dad. Um yeah, I I was very fortunate to, well, fall into the the camp training system, I guess, of his brother Dory Jr. And it was through my training and then eventual uh, friendship and and working relationship with Dory that I had met Terry. And it was actually it was Dory that really kind of presented a lot of opportunities for me that that really kind of paid out um but it was terry who was 
very um so he had done this i guess these shoot interviews they had asked him during this interview you know who who are we you know who should we look out for like who are the people on the rise and i i guess i was the only one that he said but he he said me and that helped get me um into like ring of honor at the time this was probably like 2002 so to have someone of that stature kind of vouch for me uh and he had you know we he was just always very uh forthcoming with his stories and his advice and everything he was just very uh you know not not for everybody but like if he knew that you were legit he once asked me to drive up to lubbock from austin and that's no easy drive that's about nine hours <laughs> oh. yeah and uh so there was this company called xwf and it had uh some stars i mean it was pretty much kind of run by jimmy hart and it was they were trying to kick it off after um i guess kind of after wcw and everything was kind of in limbo in that little period there before they kind of reemerged as a uh, secondary brand. Um, but there was this company, XWF, and they had a lot of rising stars and they had some, you know, not so rising stars. And so anyways, he asked me to come to Lubbock. I kind of tricked two friends into going with me. Um, it's like, well, you know, bring your gear. There might be an opportunity. You never know. Which, you know, you never know, right? Always bring your gear. Yeah. Yeah. So we get up to like this this big auditorium or armory or something. It was, I mean, it was a pretty big building, but uh I just remember uh that's the first time I met Roddy Piper as well, who would later go on to be a friend of mine and a helper of uh wisdom. Um but I just remember Terry after the show. I, I wasn't able to get a match or anything, but it was still neat to be in that environment and meeting everybody and seeing you know that level of a show uh, going on because there was pretty decent production behind it. But I just remember Terry invited me. Uh, you know, like I'm in the locker room and he's he's calling me over and he started trying to um, talk to me about my thoughts on the show. But he's like getting naked at the time and and, and he's like just sitting there. As comfortable as can be, just sitting there. Uh, I think he was like covered up with like a beer or something. And uh, he's got a koozie on his. Yeah, culo. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like trying to not look at the bunker, but like trying to be respectful. <laughs> yeah, that's what he calls his private area, by the way, the bunker. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a right down here, a little bunker. Fantastic voyage, apparently. Uh, <laughs> to get onto the eager beaver out there in Amarillo. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just making all this up. But uh, yeah, Lubbock was a fun, fun little trip. But it was just neat to be invited firsthand by him, whether I got to work or not. You know, so. Um, but yeah, he was just always very helpful and instrumental in um, any kind of advice I might need whenever you know I needed it. Uh, but him and Dory were just, you know, can't ask for better trainers and storytellers in that you know really so oh yeah I, I mean he's 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 uh we've covered a couple of his matches on this sh show already yeah i covered the steamboat funk match from clash of champions seven which took place the year we're actually going to be talking about with funk and you talked about of course funk and lawler having their legendary brawl mm -hmm. um 
and we will probably cover more Terry Funk matches down the road. He he's he's an integral part in my life as a wrestling fan growing up and and in 1989 specifically was a huge year for me as a wrestling fan. Uh and obviously with you you've got intimate uh closeness with terry funk obviously so you know there's there's a there's a lot going on there i'll tell you this other quick story real quick that terry wants to me he was saying he was uh in corpus christi he's like oh you know all the mexicans down there it's, it's easy to rile them all up and everything so we'd have security escort us from the ring to the back so this coliseum or wherever they were at uh these Mexicans wanted to kill me. They were coming at me, clawing at me. You know, security's getting me to the back. They ended up taking me right from the back, uh, straight into the car, like the getaway car, basically. And uh, we're sitting there, you know, and making our way to the hotel. And I just, I can't get comfortable, you know. And I'm sweating. I'm in my gear. And I just, and one of the helpers or whoever the guy was that was there, he was, he was like sitting next to him. And I just couldn't get, just couldn't get comfortable. And then he was like, Terry, holy shit, you have a dagger in your back. Um, so like somehow, somehow from the ring, yeah, so he had gotten stuck with a dagger from his from walk just from leaving the ring after his match to exit the building and like kind of just went straight through to the back to the vehicle. Um, and somehow in that commotion, you know, because it wasn't guardrails, it was usually like a rope or something, or if anything, right? Um, right. So kind of like what we talked about with world class wrestling, where <laughs> yeah, they come through the audience oh, to get to the ring. Yeah. These girls and, are making out know, with the Von Eriks and yeah, you know, and meanwhile, he's getting a dagger in his back. So yeah. Good times. Yeah. And not yeah. feeling it, too. So that's a adrenaline is a hell of a yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 Wow. So. Well, well, before we before we kind of go more off on on Terry Funk and pay tribute to this this legendary, wonderful person, um, Corey, you know, when we when I asked Corey to come on the show with us, Paul, uh, he jumped at the chance because it was like, oh, I would love to be a part of Territory Marks, you know, Yeah, we're expanding the territory. Exactly. We got to we got to branch it out. That's right. But Corey's knowledge. Well, Corey, I'll let you describe what's your depth of knowledge when it comes to professional wrestling. Yeah. So Zach and I have discussed this before on the um, because it used to be TV Obscura. We would do a yearly uh, wrestling thing. And I think that kind of spin spun off into this. Um, but I've, I've talked about it before. But just to kind of get, uh, you know, your listeners on board and Paul on board. Um, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 78. Um, <laughs> Aliens is my favorite movie. I saw it in the theater with my dad when I was eight years old. Um, and I kind of always grew up with huge fans of wrestling back home in Maryland. Um, and I'm excited to talk about the uh, Baltimore, you know, the uh, Wrestle War 89 because that took place in Baltimore. But um, my friends in Maryland growing up, Luke and Xair, massive wrestling fans. So I would, you know, watch pay-per-views with them and stuff like that. And then I moved out to L.A. and met up with Zach and Diallo, and both of them were massive wrestling fans. So while I never watch much wrestling on my own, I've always been surrounded by people who are into it. So I've always had this, you know, I've had an understanding of it. I never looked at it as it was like fake or something like that. I got it. I understood it. You know, it just it just wasn't sort of my thing on my own. But I always had a great time 
whenever I hung out with my friends and we did watch it. And I do remember, you know, seeing Terry Funk. And I remember a lot of these guys that we're going to be talking about today. But specifically Terry Funk, I do remember him. And I always love seeing him and watching him in these matches now. I was like, oh, man, he's, he's so much fun, you know. But I, I, I remember Sting. And, I you know, I remember yeah, obviously, obviously Ric Flair and stuff. But my buddy Xair is a big Great Muda fan. So I, I kind of popped for him, uh, to use a wrestling term. I yeah. popped for Great Muda when I saw him. But um, but that's kind of that's kind of my background, um, you know. Again, a child of the '80s, I grew up watching the cartoon, rock and wrestling cartoon stuff like that. Um, but I didn't watch a lot of just matches on my own. But I would never be upset if I was at someone's house and we all watched wrestling. I'd be like, "Cool, this is awesome." I really, I key in on other people's excitement level towards it, and I really enjoy watching things that someone's really excited about, even if I'm not particularly into it. So no, that helps, um, right? The other person's yeah. excitement helps boost yours. Even if you've seen this maybe a thousand times or. Yep, exactly. So I had a blast watching all this stuff, all the links and everything Zach sent to, to prep for this. I had a blast watching all of that and uh, I'm excited to get into it, but that's my perspective. That's where I'm going to be coming from in this episode. Yeah. I well, go back to this place. Oh, go no, ahead. go ahead. No, you go now. <laughs> no, you go, now. you go now. I go back to this. I go to this place in my head where I always think about, man, if we were all kids hanging out together, because we're all relatively the same age, you know, Paul and I would be like uber wrestling fans freaking out over stuff. And Corey yeah. would come over with his action figures. Like, OK, this is cool. I just want yeah, to so hang out no, with the guys and watch it. No <laughs> idea what I'm talking. You know, Dustin would come in and he's like, where's the Cheetos at? Oh, you got Cheetos? I brought Ruffles, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> And so, and then, you know, we would be marking out and Corey, you'd be like, yeah, but uh, is, is Robo, when's RoboCop coming out? Yeah. RoboCop coming out. And I'll just throw out that as a kid, I loved uh, the Road Warriors. I thought they were awesome. Um, but my favorite move in wrestling is the Frankensteiner. I always thought that was cool. It's pretty hell. cool. Yeah. It's a good one. What it's evolved into is something else. But I mean, to have someone like that doing it was incredible. That was uh, Scott Steiner is most athletic and most mulleted, um, which I think is probably why he doesn't and can't do it anymore is because he doesn't have the glorious mullet, the Michigan mullet. <laughs> the wind? Yeah. Catching? Yeah. It's aerodynamic. <laughs> like helps slow you down midair. Well, what, one of the things, Paul, one of the things I love about this show that we do is I'll stumble upon clips that I wasn't intending to watch and, <laughs> and there is relevance with this yeah thunderfoot for example <laughs> he's loading his boot his yeah boot, his boot is loaded he's unloading it <laughs> i i stumbled upon a a clip uh of of funk uh terry funk uh in 89 when he had funk's grill which we will talk about and he's interviewing uh the steiner brothers <laughs> and it's hilarious because it's clearly improv improv going on just between the three of them and Scott Steiner's Scott Steiner's just standing there nodding at everything. <laughs> and it's really Rick Steiner. Who's like leading the charge with everything. Rick Steiner kind of plays a goofy dim witted guy and he's fondling Terry Funk's earring. He's like, what is that? What is that? And Terry Funk's like, it's my earring. It's my earring. <laughs> you simple-minded people, it's once again time for Funk's Grill, and have I got a surprise for you today. 
I've got the two finest brothers in professional wrestling, two great athletes, the Steiners brothers, Rick and Scott. You know, I'm a married man, Rick, and I don't fool around, but I've got a couple of beautiful, beautiful daughters. And I'll tell you something, I wouldn't... How old are they? How old are they? I wouldn't change them for anything in the world. What color hair? Long hair? That's Short none hair? of your business. Well, just... But if, if, if I had the possibility to have some boys, which I wish for once in a while, I'd want them to be just like the two. Yeah, us. No, I'd want them to be just like you, Scott. What about really... me? What about me? Well, you're just fine, Rick. Yeah, you really right. are, but Scott's got some other possibilities after professional wrestling. Oh, I me think... too. I thought about being like uh, a sheriff or a fireman. Do not... Look at that. Hold still. What is that? I'm trying to tell you that that is my earring, but I am I like trying that. to tell you that I admire Scott and you and the way that you wrestle and the way that you look in professional wrestling. How long was uh was Funk's Grill on for? And I assume it was probably a was it it was a segment during shows, right? But I'm I'm watching it now and I'm like, well, this is like this would be a perfect YouTube channel, like if this was yeah. happening, you know, type of thing. Right. Um, but I I enjoyed uh, uh, Funk's Grill the episode that, or the segment that we watched. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Terry Funk. You know, oh, go no, ahead. No, just ahead. according to Rick, it's you know, Rick Flair even says it's the greatest talk show on American television. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, he's really putting it over, whether it's sarcasm or not. It's I would watch it. Like you said, I would watch it. it you would hope it would be a real show. And I love yeah. Terry. Terry, in all his talking segments, um, obviously with the exception of those that he's about to go out and do matches, his his ability to find the gaudiest Western wear or, you know, like just the, like, you know, like who... I would want to think that he gets his Western shirts at Goodwill or something, or, you know, I don't know, but like, I love his, his bizarre fashion. Like his, that like the poncho thing that he's wearing and stuff like that. Well, just even in the segments where he has like a shirt that has like fringe on the arms (laughs) and on like the pals and like, and it just, it suits him, but it's like no one in their room I would ever think of buying this shirt. Or his boots too. His boots, yeah, with the jeans tucked in. That was the first time where I'm like, is that cool? And then we <laughs> obviously, we, we wrap that up with Marshall Teague. Marshall Teague, who uh, was our guest for uh, podcasting After Dark and $2 Late Fee, I point blank asked him, Paul, and I and I, and I I shouted you out too. I said, I want to know this, this reason why uh, cowboys wear their boots uh, on the outside, you know, with the, the pants tucked in. But Terry Funk, on the other hand, and he's wearing them in one match or one um, one vignette. He's got they're like these kind of baggy white boots that look a little saggy, little saggy white boots. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's not really rocking. That's more kind of like cock blocking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old farmer on the range who just wants to slip on boots because he doesn't know. I guess so. Mud, mud and boots. Come on now. Before we just jump into funk fest and in our in our adoration of terry funk um roadhouse came out in 1989 yes that's why we're focusing on the year of terry funk from 89 this format's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do it's more of a freeform discussion talking about the year of terry funk in 89 when roadhouse came out um you know up until this point 
he didn't retire from wrestling, but he took a break and he made a couple movies. He made Over the Top for one, and then he made, uh, I think that was in 87, yep. right, or 86? 87. Yep, and then he made Roadhouse uh, a little bit later. When Roadhouse came out, Roadhouse came out in May of 89. And in May of 89, Terry Funk makes his comeback to the National Wrestling Alliance. So how long of a period of time? Because Ric Flair kept saying five years. I think yeah, I heard like, five you know, years. That's what I okay. heard too. But I don't know how accurate that was. Like, I don't think he had just been out of wrestling completely, right? Because had we not seen him in... Some of the stuff we've covered, Zach, like over the previous yeah, we have, five years. And, and and you know, I'm not sure how uh, seriously I take Ric Flair's uh, recollection. I agree. He's going to say what he needs to say to come out on top. He's the ultimate opportunist. That's why he's the That's nature right. boy. That's right. In in '89, he was actually a uh, he's. Uh, I think Terry Funk said he's 35, and I'm like, well, he's actually 40. In <laughs> but, he loves his stories, man. I told you he's. According to like Wikipedia, for example, uh, his career, he took a break from 86 to 89. So three years. Okay. Yeah. That makes, a, that makes sense. right? I mean, you would think Roadhouse was probably uh, produced in 88. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, over the top, it's probably what, 86 because it came out in yeah. I think 87. Yeah, because if if Roadhouse is hitting in May, uh, this culminates, I think, in November, right? With the 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 la- that Thunderdome match. No, well, it's October, right? Because it's Halloween yeah. and everything, right? Um, so the movie was already out by this point, uh, by the end of this of what we're going to be discussing, essentially. Right. Yeah this this rivalry starts in May. We're really focusing on his rivalry with Flair of '89 as well, Ric Flair. This rivalry starts in May and it culminates in November. Um, so, you know, Roadhouse had just come out. It's funny because, uh, Flair comments that Funk's off making movies with Sylvester Stallone. And that was like four years prior. Yeah. Yeah. And it hadn't brought up Patrick Swayze yet because, you know, Roadhouse had just come out. Yeah. And it was probably in the process of bombing too, at that point. Yeah. Maybe. It did not do very well. Yeah. Listen to that episode where we talk about that on $2 Late Fiend Podcasting After Dark. Um, but yeah, so Funk reemerges as a judge for a wrestling for a for a championship match between nature boy rick flair and at the time champion ricky the dragon steamboat and this is a uh, wrestle war wrestle war 89 yeah baby this was the finale of their uh of the storyline between flair and steamboat um steamboat beat flair for the title and then they had a two out of three falls match which ended controversially controversially <laughs> and uh <laughs> and then they had their wrap-up match where you know flair turned face so so flair and steamboat the match finishes um funk comes into the ring let's just hit that bell funk comes in the ring to congratulate flair with flair and jim ross and well i'll let you guys discuss uh what what kind of happens next, Paul? Well, I I thought this was um, just really well done and and just extremely entertaining, uh, just because Terry's obviously um, such a great instigator, but he's just so odd in his delivery with things that you know he congratulates him, and they both kind of acknowledge it, like all right, well, thank you. 
and <laughs> it's very awkward. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then and then he doesn't leave, and he's like, and not, oh, and I, but I really mean, and he so he keeps kind of like cutting back in every time they think, you know, and then, um. You know, it's like a little game that he just keeps kind of playing with them. And then, um, you know, he issues the challenge and then that's where it starts to start. It's just like it's a pretty it's pretty layered. Like the thing's pretty layered uh, just in seeing this challenger emerge out of nowhere. But it only works because he has such a storied past. He is such a known person. So it wouldn't have mattered if he would have taken 10 years off. But he, you know, he's he's the master. Hey, hey, Rick, I want to be the first to congratulate you on being the new world's champion. Terry, thank you very much. We do appreciate the judges being here. Hey, Rick, I also want to say that if it would have gone 60 minutes, that I would have liked to have, uh, I would have voted for Ric Flair because I think that you're the greatest wrestler in the world today. Very nice. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terry. You know, champ, it went past 35, 40 minutes. It was nip and tuck both. You know, I would I would also like to go ahead, and I'd also like to go ahead and, and be the first one to challenge Ric Flair to that new championship. Well, Terry, uh, I'm honored that you'd like to get in the picture, but... As the wrestling fans know, you've been an actor. You've been in Hollywood, Sylvester Stallone, while I've been being the world champion. And we got a top ten. We got a top ten that the world champion is obligated to wrestle. And that's why we are number one. Wait a minute, Rick. Wait a minute. Are you, are you really saying that uh, I'm not a contender? No, what I'm saying, Terry, is that... You are a great wrestler, but right now you're rubbing shoulders with Sylvester Stallone and not the no, world champion. No, 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 no. I was just asking, do you think it, uh, you're I'm not good enough. You're saying that I'm not good enough, no, aren't you, Rick? I'm not saying that at all, Terry. Yes, you if you want me to look you in the eye and tell you that I got a problem with wrestling a guy that's been out in Hollywood for five years, it's the bottom line, but I'm looking at the top ten, and you're no. not in the top ten. No, Rick, Rick, Rick. Let me conclude this by saying thank you. I'm honored, everybody. Win, lose, or draw, Rick Flair. Rick, please, please, let me just say one more thing. I was, I was just kidding you about going ahead and, and, and wanting to challenge you. I didn't want to really challenge you. I was just kidding you. So, Ed Gummett, let's go ahead. Let's be yeah. Thanks, Coach. Hey! And what I love about this segment, too, is that, you know, yeah, he comes in and he he basically kind of meanders around the fact that he wants a title. Yeah. Shot. Look, there's a top 10. And there was this was a, at the time, Corey, this was a time when there was a legit top 10. And I love that in wrestling. Yeah. That's something I think that's sorely missed. It was at the back of the magazines for each company. They had the list of top 10s in the back of the magazines. For every major promotion. Right? Yeah. So that's why Flair was like, yeah, no, dude, like you're not here anymore. You've been in Hollywood this whole time. Yeah. 
you know, watching all these things, the promos are my favorite parts of the right. wrestling. And I, I love these interactions. I think they're a lot of fun. And I give mad respect to the the improv skills that all these guys have. Um, but I, I didn't see where it was going. I was like, what, where, like, where's this going to go and everything? I was like, I was, I, was, I was intrigued. I was like on the edge of my seat. And that's from someone who doesn't really watch a lot of wrestling. And I think that's a testimony to Ric Flair and Terry Funk's, you know, interactions there and everything. But I, I like the drama. I got the drama. I understood the drama, even though I wasn't, you know, into it at the time. Um, my question at this point, Ric Flair and, and Sting, their face, their faces, right? And then uh, uh, Funk and Muda, uh, my buddy Xer said they were part of the uh, the JTEX Corporation. Um, yes. Are, are they heels this time? They are, but they haven't formed yet. Okay. The JTEX okay. Corporation has not formed yet because so where we're at, I was a huge Ricky Steamboat mark at this time, you know, and when he lost to Flair, I was bummed out about it because he was my favorite wrestler at yeah. the time, right? And then Flair wins, and Flair is now a face, a full-fledged face. I'm sorry, is he a face because he won? Is the, is it because of that fact? It's in the way he won, okay, got right? It. Because right. They, they basically congratulate each other, and there's a send-off where, you know, Steamboat has kind of ceremoniously passed the torch over to okay. Flair as far as being the okay. top face in the company. And Sting is around at this time, but they are not, like, aligned just yet, right? And then, of course, Funk <laughs> utters the line, well, I was just kidding. I was just kidding about that. I, I was just, well, dadgummit, why don't you shake my hand, right? And then it's such a beautiful moment because you're right, Corey. There's there's tension there. You're like, wait a minute. This is the end of a pay-per-view. This is the end of a, of a, of the, the, the match, right? We're supposed to go. The program's over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, where's this going? And, and Ric Flair's been wrestling for like 40 minutes, so he's tired yeah. and everything, too. Right. Exactly. And I had never seen anything up until this point at this moment like this as well. And so I didn't know where it was going. And then, of course, from that moment on, Funk sucker punches Flair. Yep. Much to Jim Ross's surprise. Whoa! You know, <laughs> and what ends up culminating in a career, possible career ending injury. What, uh, Paul, what is what does Terry Funk do to Ric Flair? Well, he... Um... He sends him outside, doesn't he? He sends him outside. Yeah. And then sends him over the guardrail, kind of wailing on him throughout. Yeah. And it's like the little guardrail, so he kind of steps over. It brings Flair back over and then carries him up onto, like, the announcer's table. And I was sitting there thinking, like, oh, man, if they both stand on this thing, it's going to break. Um But somehow gets Rick up into the pile driver and then executes the pile driver and the, the table doesn't break at all. And it, they both just kind of take the pile driver. It looks great and falls over the table. Just And then he grabs the table and throws it down onto Flair. And I thought he was going to jump on it like a madman, but he ends up getting the, the chair and folds it up and hits a pretty nice looking shot to Flair's head while that's Flair's head's peeking out of the from under the table like a hot dog wiener or as funk would say a uh look at that horse tooth banana nose yeah, dirt. yeah. <laughs> i picked up on that <laughs> i love the horse tooth comment i thought oh my god like i'm not the only one who thought that yeah it was it was great i mean he just went crazy on him and i mean what better way to sell tickets you know to your next event and and i mean it also adds so much excitement and it certainly was the kind of wrestler that flair needed to be in there with um yeah 
so that it was as wild card as it can get. And then you can start figuring out in the meantime how you want to move forward with any of these top tens. When was the top ten like phased out? Like when did that sort of end? Well, I don't know that WWF ever really used it in an acknowledging kind of way. They had it kind of in the Mark magazines in terms of what people were perceiving as contenders, but okay, they WWF never used it in terms of. You know, where are you on the contendership? Well, you were number three last I checked, you know. And okay. So they never really acknowledged it. Not at all like the NWA did or WCW did, um, which I always liked. I always thought that added something to it. But, yeah, in this case, I, I love the way that Rick uses it as a as a means for, like, look, like, this is my obligation as champion, and yeah. you don't fall into that. And this is why. Yeah, I'm going to make a little comment about it, but like that's cuz I'm Rick I'm Rick Flair. I'm the fucking champion. <laughs> like I I'm I'm that guy, you know. And then for Terry to have his crazy Texas uh moment of being kind of seen out. You say I'm not good enough. Here's you know, he's right. like what flashback did he go into here, you know? Like <laughs> I felt that. I felt that energy when he yeah, was like, yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, I see, I see, you might have hit a nerve on that one or something. Totally. Right. <laughs> well, th- this this would set up. So, and by the way, really quickly, uh, this took place in Nashville, Tennessee. What this does basically is it puts Flair out of commission for a little bit. It gives Funk the opportunity to kind of get reintroduced to fans that maybe weren't familiar with him. Uh, has a, a quick little run with Ricky Steamboat at a Clash of Champions, which we actually, Paul and I talked about, I think, in our inaugural episode. Oh, right. Uh, wow. Or maybe the episode number two. So go back and listen to that one. Um, but what that set up was because Funk was not in the top 10, he would go on to wrestle a bunch of jobbers throughout the uh, you know NWA run, just a bunch of guys to kind of rank himself up to get into number 10. And then he had a match between Steamboat and uh, himself, and which Steamboat won by disqualification. Lex Luger, who factors into this towards the end, came in. That set up his whole heel turn, which was very dramatic. Again, listen to that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what this did was this gave Flair. It also gave Flair an opportunity to rest up. They sold this whole neck angle that he broke his neck. Flair comes back in July of 1989. To have a match with Terry Funk at the Great American Bash. This was in July 23rd in Baltimore, Maryland. Glory days, as they called it. This was a wild match. It looked like a real slobber knocker, dude. (laughs) It was a bloody match. It was. It was a hard hitting. Yeah. I mean, these guys are punching each other, Paul. Like, there were moments where... Flair was punching Funk in the face, and he will do this in future matches as well. Yeah. At some point, it just sort of becomes like a boxing match. And, you know, again, I sort of, I'm like amazed by the the physical talent of these guys that they can switch fighting styles, but also not hurt each other in the process of doing it. And like, how do you call that out? Like, we're going to have a little punching match right now, but obviously don't freaking hit me, you know, knock me out or anything. And I'm like, wow, the fact that they can kind of switch on a dime like that is very impressive to me. And also impressive, the amount of blood and everything that they lost that match. Yeah. They're, I mean, these are two of the masters, absolute masters at this. And 
whether it's planned out or not, or, or just ends up organically occurring on the, on the fly, which very well could be as well. Um, there's such an immense amount of trust, um, but also respect, which that goes into, but you understand you're feeling that intensity uh, build and build and build as you're doing something. So then you start feeding into it more and more. I mean, it truly is addictive. I mean, the whole, the whole bit of that is addictive. And so when you take two masters at the top of their game, I mean, they could have done anything. They really could have done anything and it would have been great, but they like, you know, like you said, they go out there and literally put each other through this slugfest melee brawl, and yeah, they can adjust to each other. That's, I mean, that's the thing that was always the reoccurring theme with Terry for me was that, you know, I'm sure his bumps and this and that can be perceived as silly, which I think adds just immense entertainment to everything that he does. Agreed. You know, totally agree. Um, but when it comes to his persona and his attitude and his execution, it was always like just a thousand percent and, and, and also in committing to the realism of it. And, and that's one of the things that I absolutely love about watching his work because it's still, I'm, it's so consistently great that I know that I'm going to be taken on a ride no matter how many times I've seen it. And like, and I'm going right. to, I'm going to buy into what I'm seeing no matter how many times I've seen it. It's like, oh, it just oh, it looks so good. It's so real. Like, how did that not hurt? Come on. Like, he pitched, punched him right in the face. Yeah, right in the face. And, yeah. and as, much, as many times people love to talk about, and, and I am a part of that group, they love to see certain moves from Ric Flair, right, where he flops over the ropes and he does his, that angle where he gets him up, up on the top. And yeah, gets thrown off. Gorilla press. <laughs> right? It's, it's classic Flair. There is equally classic funk isms going on through this, you know, taking that fall over the side of the rail. Yeah, that he does countless times. But it or, or you know, getting in fans faces, swinging at fans faces without hitting them. Right. He's got this magic about him. You know, this match in particular, uh, it's about a 20 minute match. It, it culminates with Flair uh, getting a, a, a pin on funk, which uh, at this time now, Corey, Gary Hart who we've talked about on this show before, and we will continue to talk about again, manager, but so much more than that, talker, promo deliverer, just amazing mind for wrestling. Uh, he's aligned with Funk. He's about to form a group called JTEX okay. because Gary Hart also represents Great, Great Muta. Muta. Yeah. So Great Muta comes out at the end and sprays Flair in the face, causing a beatdown. Uh, Sting, who has a rivalry with Muda at the time, comes out to make the save. And now we've got Sting and Flair aligned. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner and still world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Rick Flair. And now Funk is taking over on the Nature Boy. And Hart in there. It was Hart who came to the ring 
was the big surprise that Buff was talking about. They're trying to, they're trying to hurt him. Okay, so that's what brought that's what brings Sting into on Flair's side at that moment, and I'm I'm like, oh my god, great mood! Oh my, is it, oh my god, it's Sting! Like you know, I mean, I remember these guys, and I was like, oh, this is wild. And then, and I don't, we're gonna come back to it, but I just want to jump ahead to the the finale. Was that Gary uh, Hart was also kind of trying to stop uh, Funk from shaking Ric Flair's hand and everything? Yes. Okay. Let's yes. we'll we'll talk about that when when we get there. I just I'm piecing things together. So, so yeah, no, so Gary Hart forms this group called JTEX, which, Paul, do you remember what uh, JTEX stands for? I was going to ask you the same thing. I figured it was like, do they all have Texas ties? That's the Tex part. Well, it's Japan and Texas. Oh, that's Japan right. J- Duh. Okay. Right. Which, <laughs> not going to lie, I didn't figure that out until about uh, a week ago when I started doing research on this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, doy. It was like JTEX. Is it like... Uh, for full absorption what is the <laughs> i know i'm like calvex is this something you put on yeah. a cold sore carmex Seriously. what is it called well so how long had muda been in the states wrestling at that point then so muda muda made his premiere as well that same year okay in nwa he had been around for a while and again we talk about this on an early episode actually that was the first episode paul that was the first episode where was sting and muda oh that's right and we talked about that and then the that's second right. one obviously was was uh, uh well, yeah, go back and listen to those episodes, guys. But yeah, Muta had, and, and Funk were aligned. They were this little group with Gary Hart. That set up what we're about to get to now. Because basically, even though Flair got the win, it continues the storyline. And Funk is, you know, egging on uh, Flair. They have they they have brawls throughout worldwide wrestling and all the other shows that TBS is showing in regards to NWA. There is a there's an incident in September of '89. So we jump ahead a couple months, right? We jump into September of '89, and Sting and Flair uh, are, are wrestling uh, Dick Slater, who's subbing for Terry Funk because Terry Funk is injured, right? He at the hands of Flair, he gets a branding iron on his elbow, which there's a great. We'll talk about that yeah, promo in a moment uh, too. This is good. Um, but Flair and Sting wrestled Dick Slater and the Great Muta at uh, Clash of Champions 8. And that culminates with Funk coming out to interfere and the infamous, beyond infamous, plastic bag incident where Terry Funk puts a plastic bag over Ric Flair's face to suffocate him. <laughs> Your thoughts. Uh, Corey, we'll start with you. 
<laughs> I mean, oh, and Paul, Paul's brought props to this. Oh, God, it has right, plastic bag. <laughs> so right. this is the this is the Sting Funk Brawl, right? Is that what this is? So this is right before the Sting Funk Brawl. This is a uh, like a couple weeks prior to that. Okay, okay. I, I mean, again, I'm just I'm just sold on everything. I'm I'm flabbergasted and I'm sold, and it's just I, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen, truthfully. And I think it's from the selling of Terry Funk and everyone who's involved in everything. Um, Again, I like the wrestling aspect, but I like the drama. I think I'm really liking the drama in between. And yeah, I I didn't see it coming. I'll say that. (laughs) It's so heightened. Paul, had you had had you ever seen an angle where a guy put a plastic bag over another dude's head up until this point in 89? No, but when I first saw it, I was like, he stole that from me. Because I used to like try and do that to my brothers. Um, <laughs> we, used to, we used to play. To your brothers what? To his head. We used to play rough. Oh. Like, but like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but we'd use like a pillowcase or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, you not, kinda... da- not dangerous at all. <laughs> no. Come on. Yeah. See, you did it. We all did it. Um, we all did it. Yeah. That's why I... they had to put a label on it. Because somebody eventually died. I would like to think, yeah, someone did put a lady. We tear that tag off. Um, <laughs> I would like to think, and this is just the the mark that I am for professional wrestling being portrayed as reality uh, and knowing that so much of it is. I would like to believe that Rick had maybe an idea, but wasn't certain that this was going to happen. Um, right. either which way he, he certainly sold it great in the sense that there's, there's always a bit where he almost is still trying to get it. Like he has like his hand on there. Like he doesn't, like, it's almost like he doesn't fully trust it. Um, yeah. and I, and I wonder if that's because he legitimately didn't know that it was going to happen or, or because he just also knows that Terry Funk is a wild man. And I need to have my own emergency break in the event that, you know, he's, he's, he goes off screen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so who knows, but just the whole, um, but then I think as Rick stumbled to the outside and the bag stayed on his head, it was like, okay, he's like, there's no doubt here. He trusts it. Cause otherwise you'd be like tearing that thing off. Um, but I just love, oh, yeah, I love the, the chaotic violence of it, but just also how practical it is too. It's not like he's doing the, the, the branding iron, which not all of us have at our disposal, uh, or the bull whip, but there's paper, ba- there's plastic bags everywhere, everywhere, you know, it's legit. So it feels it, legit. It literally yeah. makes me wonder what siblings learned to do this, not putting a, you know, a dark cloud over the promo. It's just, it's real. It's legit. You know, it's, it's, this can really be scary. Um, well, this moment causes, you know, it's a little bit, it feels like a little bit of kayfabe because this moment uh, causes the executives at NWA to find uh, and suspend Terry Funk in a wonderful promo. We talked, they talked yeah. about this in a recap. Uh, suspend Terry Funk indefinitely. 
what does that mean? What does that yeah, mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's being interviewed by Jim Ross and Gary Hart is there yeah. uh, discussing this this matter. He's fined and he's also suspended indefinitely because of his actions. Hundred Was it $100,000? Yes, $100,000. Yeah. The actions taken by Terry Funk go far beyond the guidelines of the sport. Beyond the standards we demand of our wrestlers. We are interested in providing exciting wrestling for all of our fans, but Terry Funk's attack will not be tolerated. Terry Funk is hereby suspended indefinitely from wrestling in the National Wrestling Alliance and will not compete in any event under our auspices. It is signed Jim Hurd, Executive Vice President, World Championship Wrestling. How long am I suspended for? Indefinitely. How does you? How does this herd or this idiot have the right to suspend me? He can't suspend me. Why doesn't he suspend Rick Flair? Look for what? what? For what? I'll show you what for. This is a legal document. He's suspended as of right now. He is not only suspended. They are asking for a hundred thousand dollar fine. Am I supposed to go ahead and sit there and take that look at my arm? What about Flair? Get a close-up of that. What about when he repeatedly beat me in the arm with the branding iron? Look at that. And now you expect me to apologize and pay a $100,000 fine? No way. Yes, I bagged him. Yes. And the intent was there. And yes, I would do it again. Don't you kids ever do anything like that. Don't ever do anything like that. All right, well, right now, officially, he is suspended indefinitely. For how long is it? Indefinitely. This is my livelihood. This is how I... You brought it on yourself. Which is still a ass butt of money. I mean, Jesus. Hundred thousand. It is an ass butt of money. Yeah, and, and and it's and it's also a moment where it, it it's comedy. This is what you talked about earlier, Paul. This there's like comedy but drama at the same time. And right. Corey Terry Funk does such as a, a fine line in this promo of one minute, like you're laughing at him because you're like this guy is complaining about a bruise on his elbow, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that that Ric Flair caused. It's the smallest little <laughs> bruise, and and he's and he's on the verge of tears because he's so upset. <laughs> but then and Gary Hart is selling the anger, right? So it's a nice balance. What are your thoughts about that promo of uh, of Funk uh, finding out that he's been suspended indefinitely? Whatever. What does that mean? <laughs> I what thought is, it was hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, it should be, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, but that's that's the balance, like you said, Zach. You know, the between the humor and and the drama of it, um, I think it's a perfect balance. I w- I saw the humor in it. I enjoyed the humor in it, but I was also sold on the stakes as well, and and what it meant to to every you know all the parties involved and everything. It, again, without like I don't have all this backstory with me, but I can still watch these things and and in their like in their individual moments, and I and because. Everyone is selling what they need to sell, Terry Funk especially. I understand what the stakes are. I understand what people are upset about. And I think that's a testimony to just his skills as as so as a talker, you know, like as as a yeah. someone who can cut a promo and everything. Absolutely. I mean, what so what is going on at this time is 
is not only is funk like suspended, but then Flair uh, is able to lift the suspension, pays the fine to get him reinstated so he can have a match with him. And we're going to get to that in a second, what that match is going to be. But in this time, Funk has a brawl with Sting, right? Because Sting's being interviewed and, and Funk also equally hates uh, Sting, <laughs> not on the same level. But 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 our good boy Lance Russell, Paul, is interviewing Sting. Yeah. And when Lance Russell pops up, I'm like, oh my god, I love Lance Russell so much. Yeah. Uh, Corey, Lance Russell was just the voice of Memphis wrestling yeah, for the longest okay. time. Absolutely. And great commentator. And Sting is is not he's not the strongest promo guy, right, Paul? He doesn't mm-hmm. deliver like the he does he delivers energy. Yeah, yeah, he gets the intensity notes. <laughs> But, but he, I wouldn't say he's the best promo cutter because he's like, I'm just I'm having a good time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I love what, in one of the promos, he's kind of just dancing while Ric Flair's talking. And I'm like, yeah, Sting, you dance, bud. You get there. <laughs> you dance with your ADD. Well, yeah. it makes you wonder where he felt the need to add his own owl. I mean, it had to be completely lifted off of Flair. Flair's yeah. woo. But it says just like I don't even know nobody but nobody does the sting how yeah you know? everyone knows the woo and you know exactly what it is and where it's coming from but right yeah. but you know what I'm talking about how like sting does the like or whatever the hell he yeah. does like yeah yeah it didn't get over I think the way that he had envisioned like I think he had like thoughts of every time he does this and this people are gonna be like I don't know. I mean I guess there's still those hardcore marks that are like. I like Crow Sting. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you like Joker Sting. I love Joker Sting. Uh, I, I know you do. We're not even going to talk no, about okay. that. Oh, I remember Crow Sting. I mean, I remember uh, what uh, Surfer Sting. I guess so. Is this arrow is this, kind of Surfer Sting now, right? This is Surfer okay. Sting. Wait, wait till uh, you wait till you get to see Joker Sting, Corey. You'll be like a dog <laughs> chasing its own tail. Yeah, you'll awesome. be like a dog. But I I did always love uh, Crow Sting though, man. I, I was I, I love the Crow, and I was like, yeah, Sting, you do your thing dude i love it apparently that was razor ramon's idea right did you hear uh, that that was yeah yeah scott all presented that idea to him it was, really? it was a great idea yeah and 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 sting uh surfer sting was uh, that was Bodie's second halloween costume by the way he was surfer sting i made him a sting costume with the rat tail uh, with the rat tail nice. <laughs> no 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 rat tail on that okay one. good i wish Oof. Um, not the dyed black rat tail, which I'll talk about in just a minute, but I wanted to add, I always thought, I always thought Sting should add a, a baby at the end of Ow. So you go, Ow, baby. That's what I thought would be better. Maybe. I mean. Maybe he would have stuck. <laughs> yeah. He, he could also just cook like, like a rooster. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be just as over. So Sting has a brief little brawl with uh funk in this segment and it's all yeah. outside the ring in this one isn't it it's all like on the mat or on the floor and everything on freaking concrete and whatnot the best place for a funker <laughs> oh. and we're talking a time when there were no pads on the ground this is straight up oh know, yeah concrete. no you can tell like you can tell it's just like a you know some cloth or something down on top of concrete yeah well into everybody's life a little rain must fall and now comes the time for a downpour with us uh, talking about Terry Funk out here. Terry, we respect the fact you are. The issue. What is the issue? That's what I want is to the know. issue what you want? between myself and Sting 
heard the issue between Ric Flair. The issue is between Ric Flair and myself. What does this singer have that I want? He has absolutely nothing. He has no guts. He has no... So, I mean, this this is a great moment to just just to see how reckless and wild once again Terry Funk is. There's no plastic bag involved in this match in this moment. Well, and uh, he kind of sucker little... he kind of sucker punches Sting, right? And so that's a and so since he's a heel, that's kind of a, that's is that is that expected at the time because he's a heel? I don't think it matters. I think it is expected. I think, uh, you know, like before... you expect him to throw the first punch essentially because he's the heel. It shouldn't surprise you. You know okay. what I mean? Uh, does this happen every time? No, but it shouldn't. It certainly shouldn't surprise you. But I think it it always works for Terry because um, his movements are very rattlesnake like. And yeah, that's a great way to describe him. Yeah, he's just it, it really is. You know, before Steve Austin ever became the Texas Rattlesnake, I feel like that is completely owed to terry and his movements not just in the ring um but in his persona as well you know when he does a lot of these promos because he unlike like you said sting who's full of energy and intensity and um sex wax uh i think he uh he's always at a eight or nine going to ten right um whereas with terry He'll start out in like the twos and threes and he'll get up to like the eight or nines and then he'll come back down to the four and threes and then he'll, you know, so he just has such a a layering to his cadence and delivery and and it amazing. I noticed that lures you in. He's a he's real. You can get burned out on like stings, like like who's somebody who has constant intensity. Whereas Terry Funk's, like you said, I, I picked up on that ups and downs. That gives you a roller coaster to go right. on during the the promo and or whatever he's doing. I did notice that and I liked it. I thought well, I thought it was more about conserving energy, but I think it's also about showmanship. You know, you don't you watch a movie and I love the first John Wick, Zach. I know you hate, you don't haven't watched them. I love the first John Wick because the action scenes are, I think are at a manageable pace by the third one. Some of these action scenes are like 20 minutes long and I find I myself can't. zoning out, you know, I've only sh- seen the first John Wick and that's, me that's too. good enough for me. Uh, <laughs> shout <laughs> me out, too. shout out to Dean Winters. He's, he's <laughs> awesome in that movie. But, but I think that like, yeah, if you try to maintain that high, like at eight or a 10, the entire time, you get bored with it. You you want a roller coaster. You want highs and lows as a Where, viewer. Yeah, I mean, oddly enough, uh, one of Sting's like his first tag partner was Jim Helwig, right? Who like became Ultimate Warrior. Um, even Warrior had the ability to shift levels, and I think that's why his promos were iconic. Um, I agree, and especially in contrast to 
it, I mean, it, it worked for his level of in-ring skill, you know, and so yes, yes. Um, you weren't going to get a crazy long layered match, but you're also going to get more than like a, a Goldberg match, um, you know, and so, but it totally worked, especially when they went long, like that match he had with Macho Man at WrestleMania 7 was long, you know, to the point where like all his paint has like been battered off his face and right he's pouring sweat and he's drenched uh so he could go the distance um and just had a very limited move set but it all worked for what he was but it was his promos that like truly sent him over the top you know um and i just feel like sting never quite had those that level of promo believability i always felt it was you know like yeah. later on and then, yeah. like, I just yeah <laughs> his promos were never really his promos were never strong I totally agree but his in-ring work was fantastic and so sure. I think where where he in my opinion where he excelled was when he sold that match and and what we're getting to obviously uh coming up with Halloween Havoc uh. is is unreal in my opinion and, and definitely deserves more praise i think than it gets i agree but, but be, before we get to that before we get to that though um you know this this brawl that funk had with sting was in early october and then we're jumping right into halloween havoc but before we do that before we do that the i quit match that culminates this whole storyline was originally supposed to take place before halloween havoc and then suddenly it gets shifted. Okay. Because in this in this recap that I sent Paul and Corey, and by the way, all of the links to uh, this episode, once again, are in the show notes, so go check those out. But in this recap of the Funk-Flair rivalry, where you get the promo from uh, Terry Funk and Gary Hart with the, you know, why he's got the busted elbow with a little bruise on right. it. Right. Um, you're you're setting up this idea that there's going to be this I quit match that is coming, but it's going to take place before Halloween Havoc. Suddenly there's this shift and they do it at the end, which makes more sense, by the way, because it is the end of the chapter. Yeah, I was going to say that right. means it, watching it, you know, in the order that that it, I guess it aired, which is how you sent it. Yeah, it would make yeah. it makes more sense to have it end with the I quit versus, you know, what happened with the. The, the dome, the Thunderdome, Electrified Thunderdome. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, what ends up happening is it worked out this way, rightfully so, <laughs> that Halloween Havoc comes up. Fantastic pay-per-view, by the way. Brian Pillman had a great match with Lex Luger. Brian Pillman made Lex Luger look great in that match. Uh. And, of course, the Road Warriors. And a lot of the, the staples of NWA were on that card. But, but the main event of Halloween Havoc is... Nature Boy Ric Flair and Sting with Ole Anderson as their Terminator. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Versus Terry Funk and the Great Muda with Gary Hart as their Terminator. It is now time for the Thunderdome cage match. Ladies and gentlemen from Charlotte, North Carolina. He weighs 245 pounds. And for the sixth time... He is E-World Heavyweight Champion, Nature Boy, Rick Flair! 
of women around Ric Flair as is normal. He is all business here. If there will be a party, it'll be after this one's over because he has been training hard. He and Sting. The question is, how far will Ole Anderson let it go? Gary Hart has the most to lose by letting it go too far because he makes his living That's off right. the productivity of the great Muta and Terry Funk. The, the notes that I'm bringing to this match are Terry Funk looked awesome in this. Like, he looked beefy as hell. This is where I put the right. note down that, that, that Terry Funk looked like he was in great shape. The, I think this was the best shape that he was in and then followed by the I quit match. So, so that's the hard-hitting facts that I'm going to be bringing to this discussion. Uh, what, <laughs> He's got a rocking bod. He does. I mean, he did. What a gimmick, though, right? I mean, it was this one of the this, – this, I'm sure this was one of the first cage matches of this – scope and scale that you'd seen though right Corey? i mean this is this is before hell in a cell or that that famous mankind match where he gets his the tooth knocked out of yeah, his that's, nose yeah and... that's how uh, hell in a cell yeah yeah before elimination chamber this is uh you know say what you will about nwa wcw's production value but like they knew how right. to really uh, shine up the gimmicks you know and, and it was, it was really electrified too. Like the top, apparently the, you know, the top of it's electrified so much so that the, I guess the, the stage hands that decorated it cause it's Halloween. And right. this makes sense. Cause I bet you, they didn't even think, you know, that this was, they thought this was going to be in November. So they're like, Oh, we're going to do it for Halloween. Go dress that. And right. yet they put it on electrified fence. So it catches fire to the point where right. the great Muda has to climb the fence and put it out <laughs> with his Muda mist. But at one point you do hear him when he climbs, you hear the, and he's like, I'm like, damn. That oh, is really? Real. So yeah. Was, yeah. I would imagine this was similar to if any of you have ever had, uh, if any of you have ever been tased by a uh, perpetrator. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you've uh, ever felt like an electric dog fence or, yeah. or the wiring that goes into like keeping livestock or something kind of in, it's not, it's not going to electrocute, but it's going to, it's almost like a, yeah. like a very extreme. Uh, Uncle Fester's challenge, yeah, thing. You know, like what was that? If you play that game, Zach. I'm sure you Uncle Fester's Quest. No, Th- well, the, that game rule. No, the one where you like sit down and you put your hands oh. around the metal, the steel thing, and it shakes you like it's supposed to be an electric oh, yeah. chair. You're like, yeah, I, I did that. Yeah, I did that. I thought you're, I thought you're gonna con- compare it to licking a nine volt battery to make sure it was still working. I mean, you could that or a toad's ass, either one. And <laughs> I think. Uh, I think it'll be fine either way, but this seems like it would have given a good little buzz shock that probably didn't feel great. Um, Judging by Muda's reaction, yeah, it, it it seemed like it did, which was cool. Um, well, th- this match is, and you're right, this is in, this is interesting because this this is a precursor to so many ma- matches we got used to seeing so many. in a ring, yeah. right? And and years prior to this there was that like a uh, tower of terror or tower of doom match where there were like three oh, matches World War three on top of... oh, no, right. that was and later. before that that was later but they did it earlier right. like i think in 87 my with jimmy garvin and a bunch of other people um but this this match in particular was so unique and you know the the heels and the faces were so well defined right and rick flair in my opinion was at the highest level he's ever been as far as a, being a face. Like he was the most popular he's ever been as a quote-unquote good guy, right? And Sting was beyond a shadow of a doubt the most popular wrestler in the NWA at that time. 
Um, and and the special referee of this match is Bruno San Martino. Yeah. Bruno. which is really I mean, he's he's another Corey. he's a legend in this business Pittsburgh uh, i kind of goofed on, on him a little bit in because he uh took over uwf and was like we're just no there's uh, this organization is going to be about no steroids yeah. and people are like okay cool but like, anyways um, me or th- this guy <laughs> <laughs> bob coddle bob coddle and jim ross are on commentary and bob coddle was so good with Jim Ross on commentary. I love Bob Cottle. I, th- I think he's an underrated uh, commentary uh, guy. But um, the the match was, you know, there's a pr- there's a there's two promos that happen before the match takes place, and I love that Funk says we're going to introduce the ten thousand watt boogie. Like he talks about a new dance <laughs> yeah. move, the ten thousand watt boogie and fried chicken. We're gonna introduce fried chicken. <laughs> you know, I want to say one thing. You know, Winston Churchill said, "Never say die." Gary Hart says, "Electrify," and that's exactly what we're gonna do. We're gonna start a new dance craze here in Philadelphia. It's gonna be the ten thousand watt boogie. Featuring Ric Flair and Sting here tonight. And besides that, we're going to introduce something new. Fried chicken. I'm talking about Ric Flair when we push him up against that electrified fence. And of course, you got Tommy Young as the referee. Tommy Young is my favorite referee of all the times. Uh, he He's one of the guys that helped put out the fire. Yeah, because, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Right. yeah I saw him climb. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, Ole Anderson and Gary Hart are the quote-unquote terminators. So the, the the rules of this match are there's no rules, right. even though it's a tag match. And they, they go by Australian rules, but then it turns into a Texas death match, according to Jim Jim Ross. Uh, or, sorry, Texas tornado What match. are the Australian oh. rules? I'm like, what the hell are Australian rules? You mean like <laughs> legit tag rules where they're just tagging in each other? Um, but, but what's interesting, when they come to the ring – you know, uh, Jim Ross is talking about the fact that Ric Flair means business. He's got no women with him. You know, he's not coming to, uh, you know, he, he's he's not coming to the the, the, the pomp and circumstance, even though he kind of still does. Uh, he means business. Right. And then um, this Terminator idea is because the match has no pinfalls, no submissions. The, the Terminator is your is your you know, handler who's outside the ring who has a towel in his hand. And when he throws in the towel, that's when you guys okay, have given up. Got it. That's yeah. the Terminator. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to point out before we have a more discussion about it and get your guys' general thoughts. Uh, did you guys pick up on the fact that Jim Ross at one point is talking about Sting? He says, Sting, the youngster from Venice Beach, California, started out as a member of a team called the Blade Runners. So the fact that he gave his original tag team, a shout out was pretty cool. WWF was definitely not doing that no. at the time. They wouldn't even acknowledge any other organization. Right. Right. But then Jim Ross throws a little zinger in there. He goes, I think his partner has not progressed like this kid has. Oh, cold Jim. Great drop by Moot by Sting. The youngster from Venice Beach, California. Started out as a member of a team called the Blade Runners. Like this kid has. Well, and yeah, you talk about coming a long way in a short period of time. Cold-blooded. <laughs> Paul, I think you said it perfectly in describing Ultimate Boy. They're very different styles, you know, and, and very, very unique characters, the Ultimate Warrior and Sting. 
I wouldn't compare the two other than the fact that they both wore face paint. I think right. they're two totally different wrestlers. Right. I wouldn't even put the, them two together. Like I'm and, and with my limited knowledge, I never in my head kind of put them as as the same sort of type of wrestler or, or a carbon copy, I should say, you know. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, this match itself is brutal as hell. Yes, it There's is. There's amazing spots throughout. <laughs> There's bodies flying, bodies hanging, bodies electrocuted. It's, yeah. it's Corey, go. Yeah, yeah go, awesome. for it. go for no, it. No, dude, it's it's freaking awesome. I, I lamented the fact that at one point uh, uh, Funk was, was hanging there and the stupid, in a decoration, a stupid <laughs> Halloween decoration was in the way, which again, it all makes sense now that you told me that this was supposed to be after in November. I think it was, I think the set decoration really messed up on it. But yeah, Terry Funk's hanging there. We don't even get to see it, but you can see his legs and stuff. And you're like, oh my God, there's upside down. If I could, see, it got me excited to want to be there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I will say really quickly, I think this is always intended to be a Halloween Havoc match. However, I totally agree with you. The camera angles were terrible, yeah. especially for that one spot in particular where, where Flair has Funk upside down and something's going on. Yeah, something's happening. the way the camera's pointed, you can't see anything well, no, that's I happening. I think Corey hit it. I think Corey hit it. The set dressing must have been a sort of a last-minute adjustment because you would think the cameraman would have... Yeah, so I feel like that threw off a lot of things uh, production-wise. But, like, we got, what, Sting swinging on a rope, you know, through the <laughs> through the match? I mean, and then at some point Sting, I think, was stuck, and I didn't understand why, and I think they actually had to help him. Um, so I guess that wasn't, you know, planned. Maybe, I don't know if it was a boot or something was stuck in there. Um, but, I mean, Terry Funk's rocking and rolling. It's, it's another one that I was like, this is a slobber knocker. This is just, it's brutal, but you can't look away. You're, you're you know, you're completely invested in it. But I did not understand what the Terminators were and kind of how, why they were sort of walking around and all that kind of stuff. But it didn't, it didn't take anything away from my utter enjoyment of the match. It's all that matters. And it's one of those matches that doesn't get spoken about enough. I think it, it seems like things get it kind of forgotten about post 90, post 91. Sometimes I guess as WCW right. started to really take shape and it stinks because this was really such a fun gimmick match that, it's like equal parts pay-per-view blow-off match and, you know, bad haunted house. And I could watch this all day. I mean, it's just, Me just a spectacle alone. And so mistakes notwithstanding, those add to the magic of this match. And those add, you know, mistake, quote-unquote mistakes in a kind of match. They really, um, unless it's an injury... You know, unless it's an injury, in that case, you have to accommodate the injury, whether it's stop the match immediately or cut stuff out. Um, right. Otherwise, mistakes become such a gift um, for a match because it thus propels whatever is happening in that moment to be real. Because it is. It's, it's like you didn't plan for this, right? So right, and it, and you know, getting Sting's foot stuck in there kind of slowed it down a little bit. So kind of almost built up the tension of when he finally does, you know, do that swing. Because if he had done it like right away, you didn't have as much tension build up because he kind of got his foot stuck. Yeah. So the whole time I'm watching, you know, I think Muda was wrestling Ric Flair at the time, and so I'm like, "What's Sting doing? What's Sting doing? Sting's going to do something." Refs yeah. helping him out. I'm like, "Okay," but still, I'm like, kind of watching Muda, but I'm looking up at Sting, and then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks. 
I rewound it, man. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> so what, what was amazing about this moment is because, yeah, where Funk is upside down hanging and he's got a booger hanging out of his nose. It's very dramatic. <laughs> uh, you know, Flair at this point has got Muda on the ground and he locks in his figure four. But then he doesn't have a really good hold on it. And that's when Sting gets caught up in the in the cage. And that allows Muda to get a reverse spinning toll hold on Flair where wow. he's like upside down pulling his neck back. Yeah. It's so dramatic. And he holds it on Flair for a really long time. And Flair is getting his ass handed to him in this moment. Yeah. And and, and Funk gets free. They're going to give Flair a pile driver and they do. And, and it's that moment where you're like, oh, my God, is he going to break his neck? Right. Because that was just so dramatic. And Sting does get free. And he splashes on Funk. And at that point, Muda, uh, Jim Ross makes the totally racist comment about Muda might be a fried wonton. Fried wonton. Oh I, I, yeah, I heard right. that. I was that's like, Jim Ross. Like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, of course, JR's got to come out with that. And now Muda goes up the cage. Will he touch the wire? That's electrified. He's right up on top of it. Muda would like to, I guess, go to the land of the rising sun right now. He may be fried wonton if he gets onto that top very strongly. Fried wonton. Because Muda's crawling. He's on top. And now Muda is up there. Um, did, yeah. did they turn the electricity off? Because it seemed like he could then start climbing up. I think they did. I think they I did, think they too. Did. Um, yeah. to, to lend itself to more some more high-flying Crispy adventure. Crispy duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So what 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 is great about this exchange, though, is because at this point, you think the match is going to end because Flair gets funk in a figure four and Sting splashes on him twice. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's losing dying. his shit over the fried wonton <laughs> bit. You know, it's, racism uh, and yeah. wrestling goes hand in put hand it, sometimes. Put so. it to an Oklahoma to be a to prove how much of a hillbilly. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's got to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, because he also says he's going. He's climbing all the way to the rising sun. And I was like, oh, I was yes. like, oh no. <laughs> Which isn't like a big deal, right? I mean, I think no. But then he throws the fried was... wonton one in there. You're like, you had to go to the fried wonton, didn't you? You had to go to a fried wonton. This match is sweet. <laughs> it is sour, and it is being brought to you in the power hour. <laughs> oh. Muda is a panda. He is a panda. The Panda Express. <laughs> Moving like a ninja. A ninja in the night. Muda. Oh. Move move over, Shokasugi. With that uh, mast. He's like he's like an oriental dragon. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the dragon master too at the end. But, uh yeah, so so Muta so Funk is is in the figure four. Sting nails two splashes on Funk. Uh, and you're like he is getting decimated. But the match continues. <laughs> it keeps going to the point where the ending is somewhat wonky because Gary Hart and Oli get in the ring with their respective towels in their hand and Oli hits Heart, which causes him to lose his towel, yeah. which only throw points out to Bruno San Martino, who, by the way, Bruno San Martino hits Muda for no reason, and 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 the crowd goes wild, and you're like, that wasn't that was kind of heelish move by Bruno San There's Martino. There's tension at the very beginning. If you notice, Muda bumps there into is. San Martino, and San Martino shoves him. And I was you're like, right. Right. I was like, damn, because that's when I first realized, like, oh, that's Bruno San Martino. You know, push him around. Yeah, because I was like, is this Gene LaBelle? And then, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so I thought that was interesting. 
No, that's that. You know what? That sells why he did it at the end. Maybe why he hit him in the face because there was so much tension. But it there. seemed like such a mini subplot that I don't think anyone paid attention to it. No, and I don't think even I don't think even people. It really doesn't matter at the end that that no. Gary Hart gets the the. Well, towel I was gonna say out. thirty years later we're talking about it, so maybe it was ah, a good little subplot. You know, there you go, it's Corey. True. Nice, nice. But that's that's the match. The match ends with uh, Sting and Ric Flair winning because Gary Hart gets the towel knocked out, quote unquote, uh, giving up the match, being the Terminator to throw in the towel. I saw the commotion afterwards and everyone's like, oh, or I think JR was like, "Ah, it wasn't fair, you know, like it didn't count or something like that, Um, you know, because I was like, okay, so it got knocked out of his hand and then they kind of went with that. Um, As a match, I thought it was super fun, but I... And I know we're watching it for Terry Funk, but I thought Great Muda had a had a really good showing that match. I mean, oh, Great I think amazing. Terry Funk yeah. did too, obviously. But I thought for me, I was like, I was kind of tuning in on on Muda and uh, and some of the stuff Sting yeah. was doing. Yeah, Great Muda is ridiculous. He's amazing. Yeah, no, he. I mean, I think he just recently is he still going? He just recently retired for good. I think he just wired. retired. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's again to Terry. He's just one of those amazing talents that can drive a story forward based on his selling alone that in a match like this where he gets just the utter tar beat out of him he's still it it, it helps so he's he he gets more over like you know what i mean like right. he doesn't need all this stuff he doesn't need to be the one you know uh, in in command the whole time and he just has that real gift of making someone else look as great as it can possibly be at his expense, you know, so. I mean, he made Ric Flair look, Rick, I just have to point out the fact that Ric Flair throws him over the top rope at one point onto the ground like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the there's that big gap flops. between the, the cage and the, and the mat and everything. And yeah, dude, he just yeah. <laughs> crumples. Do you know why uh, Ric Flair takes his back, like, well, this is a little unrelated, but like, so when Ric Flair takes his backdrops, do you notice why yeah. he takes them different like that? Is it always because because of his back injury? Yeah, because he broke his back in that plane crash. Yeah, and like ever since that, he's always taking his back bumps, kind of on the side. Um, but the, the but to have that that awareness in the ring, yeah, at all times at all times. I think it just becomes absolute muscle memory habit in a way. At that point, depending on who's giving you the backdrop, right? But um, but yeah, Terry seemed to always throw himself out knowing he's the sack of potatoes he made that look so flawless every yeah. time he takes a bump he is a flawless bumper well that's something that they used to 
grill into my head was attack the mat when you bump. Attack the mat when you bump. And when you sell, like sell big, but attack the attack the mat. Like that was always something that was very key in that training was to attack the mat when you sell or when you take a bump. Um and he he would attack everything that he bumped into. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I mean, wait till we get to the final match, but uh, to talk about attacking a table, but uh, or surfing a table, I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. I, I threw in a promo of Funk's grill yep. post Halloween Havoc, which sets up the I Quit match. Funk Terry Funk had a segment throughout this summer as well, throughout this year. His his uh, that we mentioned in the onset of this episode. You know, like Roddy Piper's Piper's Pit or the Snake Pit. It just it was uh, the wrestler doing their promo, interviewing people. He interviewed the Steiners in that one. You can look that up on YouTube. So it's almost like the evolution of a promo, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interview segment. It gives it gives more, uh, in my opinion, Paul. You can elaborate. It gives more depth to the story that's going on. Sure. Or allows the wrestlers to do something a little bit different, but also still be showcased on the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a way to keep someone active if they're not wrestling a bunch. But in this case, I think it was um, them understanding that Terry's so engaging and that he can he could literally have a broomstick on his show and it would be an entertainment entertaining segment, you know. So it's it's also a means not that Rick needed help getting over, but oftentimes it can also be a means to help get somebody over. Um, whereas somebody, you know, a talent may not be able to have microphone in hand and look directly into the camera and get themselves over. Oftentimes it helps to interact with somebody, uh, because then you're taking the attention off of yourself for a bit. Whereas when it's just camera here, it's like you, all the attention's on you. Right. But, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't used in that sense either. I think it was just possibly Terry having an idea and, them saying, yeah, let's see what happens with it, you know, and I don't know how long it lasted. Well, I think he did a few more after after he quote unquote turned face. Okay. Um, after the I quit match, but but this one in particular that I sent to you guys, this Funk's Grill from November third of eighty nine. It's 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 you know roughly ten days before their I quit match. It's interesting because Funk has Ric Flair on the gr- on the grill right. to deliver promos against each other back and forth. And I, it's got a great little uh, joke. Terry Funk tells a great little joke about Quit While You're Ahead at the beginning, which was supposed yeah. to be cheesy, but really, I enjoyed it. Once upon a time, there existed a head. No arms, no body, no legs, just a head. And that head prayed for a miracle. Well, that miracle took place that head turned into a tomato, <laughs> a rotten tomato. Do you simple-minded people know what the moral of this story is? The moral of this story is quit while you're ahead. And that goes for you too, Ric Flair. Quit while you're ahead and while you still exist. Do you understand me, Flair? And the whole right. time he's like, you know, we're we're gonna have I'm gonna be talking to Ric Flair, and they have a picture of Ric Flair, and I was like, oh, it's probably just a picture of him, but no, right. it's like actually Ric Flair like waiting patiently to talk, and I was yes, like, oh, that's, yes. I was like, that's kind of cool, like like Ric Flair's not Super trying cool. to talk over him or anything right. like that, like you could tell that there was an admiration there because he's like he's not gonna 
ruin it for him. So he's, he waits to talk. And I was like, oh, Ric Flair's there the entire time that Terry Funk is talking. Right. And he's not even, like, doing woo or doing anything. Like, he's being respectful to the to the Funk's grill, you know? And I was like, this is cool. I dug it. And I liked the interaction. And, Paul, to what you're saying about, like, uh, sort of the floating head promo versus this back and forth. Because Zach right. did send us, you know, um, the, uh, I think it was the Great American Bash promo that Funk did. And that is yes. a more of a of a just in-your-face, like, right? And, and I could, the energy level for both were so different, like like Funk's Grill versus just that head promo. And I right. really enjoyed the the back and forth between him and Ric Flair definitely. in this one. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. What's on the grill? <laughs> you know, Terry Funk, I understand you all too well. I sit here and you wonder why, why am I here tonight? How could I turn down the opportunity to be on the most prestigious talk show in the history of American television, Funk's Grill. Me turn that down, not a chance. I'm here and I'll make me a star, pal. Pal, I will make you a star because I will make you look so foolish today and also on November the 15th. You see, I don't want your belt, that gold belt. I don't want your family. I don't want your money. I want something that's more valuable than that ever will be. I want your pride. I want to take that from you in Troy, New York. I want to see those tears coming out of your eyes. I want to see you running from this old dog with those rabbit pellets or raisins falling all over the ring. That's what I want. I want you to crawl underneath that ring, and I want to throw you the microphone flare, and I want you to scream oh so loud, I quit, I quit, Terry Funk, you are the better man, and I want to see your arm reach up from out from underneath there in shame and shake my hand out of fear. Can you understand that, Rick, or not? Do you know how much I hate you? This is a perfect way to set up the I Quit match, which, like I said earlier, got bumped ahead or bumped uh, past Halloween Havoc, which, again, makes way more sense so, to so, have this be the final. So if this played out the way they originally intended, he would have they would have wrestled in this I Quit match. And then say uh, if say it played out the exact same way and, he, you know, Ric Flair makes him say I quit, then they would have gone on. To the to the do, the dome match. I mean, this just yeah, seems such no a sense. more logical. This seems more logical of a conclusion than that. Will you quit in a cage? <laughs> it's like, but I already quit. Will you quit you know? on a train? Yeah. <laughs> Will you quit with a fox? Will you quit with a mo- Yeah. In a box. So, really quickly, by the way, the JTEX Corporation is about to pick up a few new members, um, which will be kind of introduced at the end of this of, of the upcoming match we're about to talk about. On November 15th, 1989, New York Knockout Clash of Champions 9 in Troy, New York. The main event, Terry Funk versus Ric Flair. World title on the line, I quit. Or as Gordon Soley would say, five letters Two words. <laughs> I quit. Five letters, two words. I quit. Gordon Soley was on commentary with, I never forget that. To this day, it's grilled in my brain. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> uh, I've never, it's it's Jim Ross and Gordon Soley on commentary. Tommy Young is the referee. This was an I quit match. 
We hadn't seen an I Quit match in a really long time. In fact, I was doing a little bit of research. The first I Quit match, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> is Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA. Uh, that was the first I Quit match back in the day. On television or on, wait, for what year would that have been, right? Because we covered our own with Funk and Lawler. Yes, we did. So as far as the NWA is concerned. Okay, NWA. Okay, okay. Just wanted to clarify here that Terry is well-versed in the I Quit match. He's well-versed in making dogs squeal and making them suck on eggs. He is well versed in boxing chickens, boars, cheetahs. It doesn't matter. He will take anyone to the limit and make them say, I quit. Or as Ric Flair would say, that's humiliating. <laughs> that's disgraceful. So so did they bring this back for Terry? Basically, like if it wasn't Terry Funk, would it have been an I quit match, or was this done for him specifically? In my opinion, Paul, you can you can counter uh, this. This is the logical, the only logical way to end this feud. It's a it's a seven almost eight month feud, right? That it keeps going back and forth, back and forth. Only other stipulation that would fall into play after this would be a loser leaves town match. There you go. Yeah. You know, because then that way you know that one of them is staying and one of them's going to be gone, um, and then that's that. So with an I quit match. Hey, we just know that you made him say I quit. Okay. You're still both here. And there's still rum- grumblings of that loss on the surface. So this could happen again. You know what I mean? But when you take a loser leaves town match, um, ideally that's like one of these guys is going to leave for a while. Until okay. that masked, mysterious stranger shows up <laughs> out of nowhere, somewhere down the road. I can't quite pinpoint it, but his moves look sort of familiar. <laughs> There's something to the way this... Have I seen this young man before? This this star bean? <laughs> this midnight rider? Yeah. Who is this midnight rider? This yellow dog? Shout out to our buddy Diallo Jackson, by the way, who loves the Midnight Rider angle with Dusty Rhodes. He, that's one of his favorite angles from back in the day. So, uh, <laughs> Midnight Rider, yeah. So oh, we're, we're gonna have to cover that. Um, but I, yeah, yeah th- this is this this whole thing though is th- they're building up Funk as the pride of Texas. Right. So he's got Texas on the line. F- uh, Flair, you know, is is saying he'll never do it. Um, and and there's a there's promos ahead of time where. Oh yeah, Terry. Uh, Flair. I don't care about that gold. I care about your pride. It means a lot more. Yeah, That's I like right. that. He's like, yeah, I don't care about your, your yeah, the belt. And that's you know, I'm taking the one thing that you know you have, and that's the pride. I was like, that was cool. I I got that. I understood what was. I understood what was on the line for Ric Flair, and and I think there's something special about it not being about you know money not being about what well, in the in the eyes of for me you know not being about right. the belt or something it's just down and dirty i want to take your pride and i think that's that's very relatable and i think that's what made it exciting sure now terry funk we know what's coming down it's called i quit that means two great champions are gonna walk that aisle tonight and they're gonna get in that ring with one thing in mind, and that is to make, now think about this, to make the other say, I quit on a nationally televised 
program before millions of people. That's humiliating, that's disgraceful, that's the end. Think about it. National television, I quit. Well, I look at it like this, Terry Funk. I'm the world champion, the title's on the line, but if I say I quit, I'm done. For you, you've got nothing to lose. You're the pride of Texas. You're one of the true greats on this sport. So tonight, Terry Funk, it's no man's land. It's a crash course. But the bottom line is, woo, to be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! It's interesting, though, because the whole angle with Flair is like, you know, this is about one particular thing. You know, you got to have guts. You're gutless if you don't do this, essentially, is what he's saying. In the Havoc entrance, Flair comes to the ring with no quote-unquote fanfare, no beautiful women with him. In this entrance, when he comes to the ring, Gary Michael Capetta is introducing the wrestlers, of course. Love it. Gary, the voice of nwa beautiful announcer just the best voice yep and then i will actually put links to gary michael capetta's book in our show notes as well if you want to check that out because it's a great read but flair comes to the ring with two with three ladies which i thought was interesting i'm like wait a minute this is a little bit of this is his heelish side coming out a little bit and then he's coming down the ring he's you know hugging people shaking people's hands at one point people are grabbing onto him and you can hear him go all right all right all right like get your hands off me i know it's not intentional but part of me is like this is planting the seeds this is planting the seeds for the future heel flare that we all want to see because he's so great at what he does yeah anyways uh Funk comes out first, by the way, to the ring, to the theme song, his wonderful theme song that I will put at the beginning of this episode, Man with Harmonica, from Once Upon a Time in the West, Sergio Leone, Ennio Morricone, in my opinion, my favorite Western of all time. I think that might have been Toots to Limon on the harmonica in that Ennio Morricone song, yeah, because it's a chromatic harmonica that gets that... So creepy, so creepy and so good. And you're like, okay, this guy is at the top of his game. Funk, like you said, Corey, I think Terry Funk might be the quote unquote definition of a butterface because at this point he's got the million dollar bod with the face that's grizzled. No offense, no offense. I'm just saying, Uh, call it like I see it. Wrestling fans, the following contest, it is the featured I Quit Match. Now, ladies and gentlemen, remember, there will be no disqualifications, no countouts. The only way a winner will be decided is when one wrestler says, I quit. Introducing the first participant, Gary Hart presents from the Double Cross Ranch in Canyon, Texas. He weighs 247 pounds. making his way down to the ring and as you mentioned earlier the physical toll that it will take on this man and rick flair will certainly put flair in a precarious position going into the starcade future shotting out of the iron man tournament this match with no falls no pinfalls no disqualification gordon it's going to be so physical the other thing about it that really in a sense is awfully sad is we're going to see an end of a dynasty. From Charlotte, North Carolina, 
He weighs 245 pounds. And for the sixth time, he is the World Heavyweight Champion, Nature Boy, Rick Flair. And you know, this match is a, a legit brawl. I've never heard chops. I thought I heard chops louder, Paul, in the... Oh, uh, you feel them in this one. I thought the chops were bad in the Funk Steamboat match. In this, they are beyond black and blue brutal. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think I even have some slight chest... <laughs> yeah, you do. ...from my matches recently. Yeah, uh, yeah, you definitely... You feel the brutality in this match. I mean, they're laying it all out, and... Um, all for the pride of saying, I made you say you quit, you dog. You know, but yeah, you feel the chops. You don't just hear them, you feel them. And that's, you know, Terry had big hands, you know. I think he's, yeah. he's got some mitts to him. And Rick, I mean, you know, that's, he's the master of the chops. And yeah, certainly when you see the effects on the body, it, it, it adds to the drama and to the story that you're witnessing and the illusion of realism and this is real and this is still real to me damn it still real to me <laughs> hey, look I know that I, you know they're, they're punching each other in the face and they're not pulling back i think th- i think this is the one where they get into like a, a box, boxing match and whatnot and one thing yeah. i did like about this one a lot um because like we didn't have any other wrestlers at, until the like the end when it you know really goes crazy, uh, we didn't have anybody to take away from these two guys here, which is why I think this is a better end for all that because we didn't have Sting and, and Muda doing things at the same time. This was just them, and I love Terry Funk being going like, "Bring me that microphone, bring me that microphone," and he's trying to get you know yeah. uh, Ric Flair to say <laughs> I quit and everything, and you could just you could feel the intensity. But then I I also picked up on something where they were like. The announcers were like, this is like a, not a first, but this is sort of a rare thing where we have the microphones yeah. or in the, the rink so you can actually hear what they're saying. And I wanted to ask you guys, like, did that is that is that something that was rare at the time? And did that sort of open the door to starting to hear what the wrestlers say or do they ever fall back uh, on that? You know, I mean, it might have been for NWA just because this was you said this was the first I quit match on NWA TV, I think, or something. So, yeah, like, yeah, prior to this was the first one since Tully Blanchard, Magnum TA. So they could have been uh, saying that as just to add to the spectacle that this was something new to the viewers and and this is very different. And just so that you can see that this is for real you're actually going to hear them say i quit and we're going to get the microphone in there just to make sure so there's no questions about it um but again i think that's standard for pretty much any i quit match uh if they're able to do it there are certainly indie independent shows that maybe don't have those capabilities and and in that case you just tap (laughs) you know you just tap on the mat or drop your arm three times Jim Ross was selling the fact that they had a wireless microphone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. I was like, technology. Oh, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. 1989 technology. <laughs> 1989. That's pretty huge. Yeah. And then I look in the background, I see those poor camera guys holding those giant cameras. Like, oh yeah, my God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we also should mention that uh, there was a guy named Doug Dillinger who was their like head yes. of security, basically. And he was, a, he was an integral part in uh, the storylines as well, always kind of being out there to make sure everyone was safe. And Funk would always get in his face uh, when when he was kind of 
kind of flailing around as he would. Um, but, you know, he at one point he starts slapping Flair in the face and then Flair grabs him by the <laughs> neck. And it is it is my favorite one of my favorite moments in this match because because Funk is like smacking him like, you know, like a little bitch, basically. Yeah. And, and, and Funk and Flair is like, I'm not going to take this shit anymore. And he grabs him by the neck and like moves him back. And you see Fla- Funk just kind of flail back. It is such a fantastic moment. <laughs> you know, those guys were like, we're going to go all out. We're going to lay it right. all on the table. You know, uh, five letters, two words. I quit. And and Funk is, you know, selling in the microphone, Corey. He's like, you want to quit, quit yeah, Flair, yeah. you gutless pig? <laughs> and that's where I got that from. Anyways, uh, Funk pile drives Flair on the ground, right? On the concrete, no pads. Um, it is more dramatic than the one in May at the Wrestle War on the table because Flair in that in that pile driver is like basically doing a handstand with his hands yeah. on the ground. This one is like full on. Um, you know, a, a table gets introduced, which became a staple for for you know <laughs> wrestling moving forward. But at the yeah. time, it was still a big deal. You know, the chops and the stomps and, and just and, and just Funk getting the hell smacked out of him. It's so intense. And what I love, what I love, and again, it's something I don't think that's done to this day nowadays, Flair's signature move, the figure four leg lock, the move that will break your leg. He does not whip it out until the very end. It's the last move that he does, and he never does it up until that point. He starts to build on it, but I think the crowd wants to see the figure four, and they never do until the very end. And Funk sells that figure four like no one has ever done it before, and I don't think has ever done it since. No, dude, I, I no. was I was completely into it. You know, Funk's like you know, doing his thing, and they're like, if it's one more second longer, it's gonna break his leg. And I'm just I'm on the edge of my seat watching it, and I was like, you know, I'm and I'm rooting for Terry Funk and everything, but you know, he he does at that point, you know, concede. He's got that thing locked completely in. He's got it deep deep in there. Gordon, have you ever seen him yeah, last step down to the figure four? My line, it my can line, be reversed. It can be reversed. But I... Yes, I quit. He said it. He said it. I can't believe it. Gary Hart is living. But Ric Flair has won it. Gary Hart just can't believe what's happened. He did it. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match, Nature Boy, What a great end of the match. And then I even like how it sort of even goes further. And, and then it gets really exciting. But before it does, I really liked Terry Funk wanting to shake Ric Flair's hand and be like, be honorable, be like, yo, you beat me. But then, you know, his manager, uh, Gary, Gary Hart. Hart, you know, what? Right. and I kind of didn't understand what had happened or kind of, I don't, I felt like I blinked or something. Gary Hart kind of knocks out um, uh, Terry Funk a little bit. And then that's when the giant brawl happens. But for me, the culmination at the end of this whole thing, that is the standout moment to me was the fact that Terry Funk loses 
And he's like, I lost, like a man. And then he goes over and he's like, I want to shake Ric Flair's hand. And then his you know, manager tells him not to. That was what I loved the most about this entire thing <laughs> was the fact that Terry Funk was honorable at the end. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, he. that's that's one of the things I think him and Piper share is they have like that such a old thread of respect for for the for the industry for the craft for the for the the carny aspect of it the the workman aspect of it the blue collar aspect of it the survivor aspect of it there's just such a just an a, a unconditional love for the purity of it that win lose or draw or there's no draw but win or lose in the in the sake of the match regardless of where they are from a character standpoint um when they bust something like that out and go to do the the honorable thing, like it just, it means so much more too than it being something that's kind of more put on. Um, you know, it means more coming from guys like that, you know? Um, but I love that Gary Hart kept him from that too. Cause it just adds to the heel. Yeah. It's like any, any time you think this can be a perfect ending and the fans can go home happy. Hmm. Is there a way to, sprinkle some heel stuff in there and possibly bring them back for one more like one more just tickets round of ticket sales like come on like there's gotta be a couple more tickets we could sell so it's it's always fun to play with that i love a good heel who relishes being a heel i was hoping though because yeah the way this match ends like like we said that uh terry submits he says i quit and then he says he says uh you know Hart's yelling at him, and Terry's like, "I promised the fans. I promised the fans that I'd shake his yeah. hand, right?" And, right. And fun, and then Flair's like, "You know, give it to me. Come on, you know." And they kind of have their <laughs> like, "I respect you," yeah. kind of yeah. thing at the end. Yeah. And that's when Gary continues to lose his shit, and there's a moment there because yeah, he goes after Funk, and then at this point now. The Dragon Master, who we're pretty much introduced to, another part of the JTEX, and 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 Buzz Sawyer will factor into it later on, but it, it's watered down. But Muda, the Dragon Master, come out and attack Flair, which causes uh, Sting to come out and save the day, basically try to save the day. And when this does happen, Gary Hart is like lost it, and he pushes Funk out of the ring. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and that's kind of the end of funk here. I was like, I thought there would be more funk in this post madness that happens. Well, I was hoping, and this is my this is my story building because Paul Corey loves the story build. He loves yeah, to build love the, the story build. before. He loves to build the story after. What could happen? What could be in this in right. this thing? And my story building was that funk would be turn face and align himself with Sting and Flair against Muta. Yeah. Dragon Master, and then Lex Luger comes out to destroy everybody as well. Um, really quickly, side note for this Clash of Champions, there was an award ceremony earlier in the night where Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I believe, was giving out all these awards, favorite wrestler, best wrestler, blah, 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 blah. And Luger was so just pissed, right? We've been, that's the other thing too, throughout the course of this year, fueling that Luger thinks he's the best and he's being deprived of what is his, okay. right? This championship. And that's why he comes out and destroys everyone. Smashes them. Right? What you have in this moment is Jim Ross and Gordon Soley have to close the chapter on Flair Funk, but also open up the new door to this new storyline, which is going to create a 
the reformation of the four horsemen, et cetera, et cetera, which we'll definitely talk about down the line because it's worth uh, bringing up some great matches in that. But like I said, we toe dip into the 90s occasionally and we will get into the maybe 1990 for NWA. You know, the heels are kind of dominating. Funk is written off. But the end of this match match thing, like the pay-per-view, <clears throat> it's not a pay-per-view, it's a live television broadcast on TBS. Gordon Soley and Jim Ross are closing it out. And I love this. And this is a great way to kind of wrap this whole episode up. They're talking about what happened with Luger and, and JTEX, right? But they also say, Gordon Soley says, you have to salute Terry Funk. The Funk family name has been upheld. He is a man of his word. They close out the episode talking about Funk. We have to salute Terry Funk, his courage and his integrity. He did what he said he would do. I have to concur with you in regards to Terry Funk. The Funk family name has been upheld. He is a man of his word, but I'll tell you what. Words cannot describe the courage of Rick Flair. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll have a full report Friday night for Gordon Soley. I'm Jim Ross. So long from Troy, New York. The reason why this is as good as it is, Flair can go with just, he can go with anybody. Terry Funk elevated this to a whole other level. And this whole storyline that we've been covering from May of 89 to November of 89 is a perfect capsule of what I love about wrestling, what I will always love about wrestling, what got me to love wrestling with the highest passion. If I ever have a moment where I'm like something, I need something to bring me back positive, like bring me, uplift me. I will put this storyline on just to remind me that Anything is possible if you have the right components to it. And this is just a perfect capsule of what wrestling is. For any new fan, I would show this to them. For anybody who's kind of burned out on wrestling, I would show this to them because it'll reignite that passion. And I think it's a perfect way to kind of wrap it up. Your guys' thoughts. Corey, what is your thought about this? Um, So, I mean... Most of the time that I have any sort of, especially with you and Diallo, have any sort of discussions about wrestling, it's usually singular events, solitary sort of things, moments in time. This was really cool to see an evolution, like you said, over the course of like seven or eight months. And for me, I grew up reading comic books, um, you know, and like a lot of Marvel comics and everything like that. I was mostly Marvel or Dark Horse comics. In 1989, I was probably reading uh, the Aliens and the Predator comics over at Dark yeah. Horse. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna have you jump in in a minute. Well, then, well, we'll we'll count that as now. And basically, back in 1989, if y'all were reading comics, man, the the Dark Horse Predator series was out. The first one, Concrete Jungle, which was great, and then the Alien series. It was on their second one, and I, I have all the original issues back home. Um, but what I found interesting about all of this, two things. One, it made Terry Funk for me be someone other than just a face that I've seen, a name that I've heard, someone that I've enjoyed in the past, but now I've seen what he's capable of. And I don't just mean in the ring, I mean in selling the storyline. But as a comic book reader, I'm like, I was impressed by how comic booky it is. Whereas like, unlike the Dark Horse comics where where you'd read like four or five issues and that'd be a singular story and they move on to something else. But if you're reading like X-Men, you know, issues will, they'll have arcs and everything, but nothing ends. It keeps going. And, and you're peppering in, you know, even though this arc is about Wolverine versus Sabretooth, you're peppering in side stories that are going to turn into an arc later. And I was just sort of amazed at how comic booky it all is. And I say that in the highest possible, you know, no. uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. And there's just no end to it. Um, 
But I loved how specifically for this end of this story arc, I love the honor of Terry Funk at the end. I think for me, that was the button on this whole thing that I really enjoyed was Terry Funk wanting to shake, you know, Ric Flair's hand. And then I, I understand how that also, you know, even though he'd lost it, he's kind of a winner at the same time. Cause it's like, he didn't tarnish his family name and all this kind of stuff. And, but to see him get there through the promos, through the, the slobber knocker fests, but to see him get to that point, I was along the ride. I was along for the ride the entire time. And that's because of these two giants selling everything, you know, and also, again, I'm, I'm such a noob to all this, but little moments that I like is like, I'm watching Ric Flair, like, you know, not talk over Terry Funk during his promo cuts. I was like, that's respect right there. That's professionalism right there. And that kind of reminds you that these guys aren't just some brainless goon in the, in, you know, all muscle. Like these guys are so aware of what they're doing and what they're saying and how things are perceived and, and waiting for someone else's to be done talking like that's respect. So these were the little kernels that I got out of this that, that I think for me add more to, to the, my knowledge of Terry Funk and everything. And, and thank you guys for having me on. I, I really appreciate this. I love doing this. This was awesome. I feel like I have a new wealth of knowledge from it, you know? So thank you both for this. The territories welcomes you and thanks you as well. Young Corey. <laughs> uh, now that you've got the territories in your veins, it's hard to get it out and it just spreads and spreads. Uh, thank God for YouTube, daily motion, all these other means to watch these lost not forgotten eras um sometimes not lost rediscovered eras of professional wrestling where it was as real as it could be and it still is and so what you see is what you get it's not oversimplified it's not overcooked it's not overproduced it's just a thing of beauty you know so it's a uh, it's an art form that is unmatched untouched and when you can see two greats, two absolute masters, uh, legends making magic, it's a, it's a joy to watch. And I highly recommend anybody seek out any of the links that we have up for what we've spoken about today. And don't just stop at 89. Yeah. Go further back. Go further back, further back. Um, on one of our episodes early on, we'll cover an I Quit match between Terry and uh, Jerry Lawler in an empty arena, which is, uh, you think this one's wild, <clears throat> but so, so we don't know that roadhouse was an instant hit. It was, it took a while to find its audience. I imagine it did. Yeah. VHS. Yeah. yeah VHS really made it take off. It didn't, it didn't have theatrical, uh, money now. Right. What I'm trying to think of what Terry's next film Project, what did he have been in? I know he did the Johnny Knoxville movie way later. He did. Was was he not in Thunder in Paradise? A couple of those episodes, maybe? So, yeah. So, Terry Funk, really quickly, uh, he was on an episode of a TV show called Good and Evil. He was on Quantum Leap. He was on uh, mm. Swamp Thing, the TV show. Oh, I remember. Yes. That was his next kind yes. of foray was the Swamp Thing. He was also on an episode of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. There you go. Uh, with Bruce oh, Campbell. Yeah, which just had nice. its 30th uh, anniversary like yesterday. I love oh, that wow. show. But yeah, he was um, he was in an episode of that. I would have liked to have seen him have 
a similar trajectory to Roddy Piper's uh, film career with, you know, it would have been, yeah, Stephanie was suited for it, but he was as real as it got. He was te- one of Texas's favorite sons. Certainly makes me proud to be a Texan and Terry will never be forgotten. He was absolutely just a, li- a living legend and a legend that'll last forever and ever. Um, I'm certainly grateful for all the Terry time that we've had. I'm certainly grateful for all the the matches and wonderful magic he's shared and and given us throughout the decades. And this has been a lot of fun and a wonderful uh, year. Well, '89 was just very kept, you know. It's a nice little tribute, but there's so much more Terry out there. So please, please do yourself a favor and seek it out. Yeah, as you know, this is the culmination of our month-long crossover podcasting after dark, $2 late fee, now Territory Marks uh, with Roadhouse 1989. So, of course, we got to pull out Terry Funk matches from 89, and wow, what a run he had in 89. I think Gordon Soley said it best when he said you have to salute Terry Funk, and I think uh, this was maybe the best way we could salute him for 1989. But like Paul said, there are so many more matches. I would not be surprised if he continues to come up a couple more times this year. Um, in, we might just rename this Territory. I mean, Territory <laughs> Marks would actually be a great. So really quickly, because I don't think that a, lot, a lot of people know about this. We do have merch, by the way. Territory Marks does have merch. We got T-shirts. Yes. We will have koozies. We will have a lot of other things down the road. But in the meantime, if you want to go uh, get some Territory Mark merch, Go to $2.LateFee.com. The links are in the show notes per use. Uh, if you're new to, if, if you don't know what $2.LateFee $2 late fee is or podcasting after dark is, first of all, $2.LateFee, go to $2.LateFee.com. You might have found Territory Marks on its own on Spotify or all the other across the yeah. because now it's its own separate feed. Um, for those of you that have just discovered us, thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star rating, well, you'll hear that in the <laughs> outro too. That would be much appreciated. But we are crossing over to the dark side with Podcasting After Dark. Corey, what's going on with Podcasting After Dark? Can we tease up what's happening in October or can we just talk about what's happening on Podcasting After Dark? Yeah. Well, yeah, if you just found uh, me, Corey, through this, um, I, I hope I didn't let anybody down. Um, but uh, I had a blast. <laughs> and uh, Zach and I are always talking about cult movies over on Podcast After Dark. It's kind of the 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 dark shadow of $2 Late Fee, uh, <laughs> kind of like how Krampus is the dark shadow of Santa Claus. And uh, we, we talk about more weirder, bit more rated R films and everything. Uh, but we also have a uh, spinoff show as well uh, called TV obscura where we dive into weird obscure shows and just like two dollar late fee we kind of stick around the late 70s 80s early 90s era of things and whatnot we have our buddy diallo over there um and october's coming up so that's going to be a big month for zach and i as of the time of this recording we have not quite locked in what we're going to do because we have two different options, but it's going to be fun either way, and uh, they're going to be awesome movies regardless. And uh, if you want to find out, you know, all our podcatchers and everything.
everything, you can go to podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com for all our links, Patreon, podcatchers, merch store, etc. And yes, uh, guys and gals, a great way to help any show that you love, any podcast you love, whether it's $2 lay fee, whether it's Territory Marks, whether it's Podcast After Dark, whether it's another one. How about right now, just leave one of your favorite podcasts a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Any of them. Just do it. Karma is great, and they really do help. You know, all shows grow and everything. So support your favorite podcasts and your, your favorite uh, content producers like Paul and Zach and everybody over here. Uh, and Dustin, of course. Dustin, too. Of you course. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And I will throw out one more little little thing here. If you want to know upcoming news before anyone else, you can sign up to Podcasting After Dark's Patreon and to $2 late fees patreon patreon.com slash $2 late fee patreon.com slash podcasting after dark you can go to those yeah. and bada bing bada boom uh in the at the time of this taping we will be having a um fundraiser i think the fundraiser actually happened already um but there's links to momentum wheels for humanity and that is the charity that raises money for people with disabilities and wheelchairs uh, providing wheelchairs for people in third world countries and right here, obviously, in the United States. Um, it's it's a under-the-radar kind of charity for people that, you know, obviously need support. So uh, consider doing that as well. The links for that are in the show notes, too. But as Gordon Soley said, you have to salute Terry Funk. I hope he did his name justice. Paul, I hope we brought a little shine to uh, oh, it's wonderful. the Terry Funk name. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's... Uh... He's boxing boars up in the promised land, the heaven's gates or wherever he is, sucking on eggs and calling out the dogs that are out there pretending to be angels. You gutless pig. So, I'm Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Cutting promos in the you sky. son of a bitch. You chicken lover. You banana nose. Uh, horse tooth. <laughs> yeah. You damn hippie, look at you. Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus versus Jason. Uh, I was going to say versus Jason. We're not there yet. But Terry versus Jesus is pretty good. Terry and Roddy are up there cutting promos on Jesus right now. and uh, Well, they're doing uh, Funk's oh, Grill. They're doing yeah. Funk's Grill, doing Funk's right grill now, and so. Piper's Pit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is like, I just want a hot dog. Um well, no, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. It's it's uh, always a pleasure to to be given and fed um, funktastic uh, stuff to watch and review and, and reminisce over. So, uh, till next time, I hope we get to all cross paths again. And um, as Corey mentioned, you know, please. Uh, Leave your kind reviews, or you will be an egg sucking dog. <laughs> and yeah, give support to all the shows here that are on the $2 late fee umbrella. So thank you all very much for listening and love and hug your, your loved ones a little tighter at night because you never know when the egg will crack. Oh, that's really sweet. Till next time, everybody. Play us out.
Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes. And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s.